Hey, smart mamas. Welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives. I want to be a nurse anesthetist. No topics are off limits. Relationships, finance, mental health, work. And we aren't sugarcoating anything. No way or way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So we are back. Welcome back to Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. We are here. It's me, Ellen, and I'm here with Lacey. And uh, hello is out. She is not feeling well today. So we're going to send her our positive thoughts again. And we have a very special guest with us. Aside from Miss Gianna, my little eight week old here, who's chatting it up right now. We've got a really, (laughs) really special guest with us. Yes. This is Miss Teresa Mitchell. She's an executive producer of a documentary, and I'm going to let her tell you what it's about. And Teresa, tell us how people know you. Well, people know me um, as a mom, as a survivor of three miscarriages and having a rainbow baby. So I'm telling a story where it comes to a point where uh, this documentary is created to bring life and truth to the struggles faced by Black and brown women as they quietly struggle through miscarriages, infant loss, and infertility. So we are creating a story where it's based on motherhood, based on us trying to find clear mind after we lose our child. So um, first of all, we're extremely, extremely sorry for your losses. Very happy for your rainbow baby. And, you know, always thinking of the moms out there who struggle to conceive and struggle to carry a pregnancy and then struggle through delivery and lose, you know, during or after pregnancy, anyone who's ever lost. We've had people on here before who have talked about loss and grief and getting through it, but I think it's something completely different when it's a child of your own. And I definitely want to kind of hear first, you know, what is your background? How did you get into executively producing something? Because I can't even wrap my mind around that (laughs) at all. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about your personal story. And then we'll kind of dive into the specific population that your content serves and why it's so important. Yes. uh, My background story um, is uh, me at a young age at 24, got pregnant. I was 15 weeks pregnant. And all of a sudden, I just felt my body wasn't right. I went to the doctor. The doctor told me, oh, it's normal pregnancy. Come to find out. At that time, I didn't know I had an incompetent cervix. So uh, my cervix Um. opened up at uh, 15 weeks and I had a miscarriage. Doctors didn't tell me why. They didn't. They told me only the reason they can probably think it's an incompetent cervix. But if it's not the way they will find out if I get pregnant again. (laughs) Nobody want to hear that. I want to hear you telling me something like, why did I lose my baby now? Right. So then I got pregnant again the second time in 2014. I was super excited. I was super more healthier mindset at that time, I think, because after I lost my first child, I was like, you know what? I give up. I don't want to do that no more. So when I got pregnant again, I was super excited, but super nervous and scared and felt like hopefully this doesn't happen again. I went to go seek out 
a high risk doctor, but they told me that because um, I only had one miscarriage, I'm not considered a high risk uh, patient. So, you know, coming back home, frustrated, mad, you know, upset, trying to figure out, like, I don't want to lose a second one. So what can I do? I met a nurse and she told me, hey, I got a great doctor that will actually see you. Just uh, give him a call. I gave him a call. He told me, OK, uh, make an appointment with my office. I will definitely take you because you are considered a high risk patient. So I made an appointment for him for Thursday. I lost the baby on Tuesday. Oh, oh my gosh. That's devastating. Yeah. I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. I felt alone. I didn't know where exactly my head was at. I was depressed. I was just so overwhelmed with grief, emotional uh, turmoil. I was traumatized. I was in denial. I was everything. Everything was you think about the, my feelings and emotions. That was exactly, that was me. After that, I just stopped. I didn't want to get pregnant again. Um, I was in a bubble where, you know, I, every time I turned around, I see somebody getting pregnant. Everybody's about to have a baby. You know, I got to go to baby showers and I got to put this mask on my face. So in 2016, I found out again, I was pregnant. This time I made sure I went back to the doctor, high risk doctor. We did a transvaginal saclage to hold up the baby. Thinking that would work. Everything went perfectly fine. It was a smooth pregnancy. The doctor listened to me. The the nurses listened to me. They like they were so comforting my third pregnancy. But unfortunately, I acquired an infection. That infection leading to the embryonic sac, embryonic fluid. And they was like, Teresa, you got two options. We can uh, either give you um, another transvaginal saclage and to see if you have, if the infection had lead up to, into the womb. We did the surgery. They found out that the, the infection did lead into the womb. So either both of us, the child and me, is going to die, or I have to have a Socratic um, abortion. At that time, I was so mad. I was like, not again. This is the third time. Why can I not keep my babies? The doctor was like, we can do something for you after you deliver this baby. We can give you a transdominal saclage after you finish healing. But at the time, I, I couldn't process everything they was giving me. I couldn't process you telling me that I'm about to have a sobriety abortion. Like, I didn't want that. I didn't ask for that. I want to keep my baby. But unfortunately, the infection got too bad and I had to do it. When that happened, I shut the whole world out. I did not talk to nobody. I did not see anybody. I did not seek therapy. I did not seek any type of mental health at that time because I felt like the world was against me. I wanted to commit suicide. I was having all kinds of thoughts of my body is not what it's supposed to be. Me trying to be a mother was not happening. Me trying to understand my body was not happening. Me not hearing stories of other women that survived this or, or has been through this was not happening. So this is what leading me up to having this conversation with a lot of women in my family and friends and, um, and friends, because in the black community, black and brown women are three to four times most likely to die at the hands of childbirth. We are also most likely to have complications during and after childbirth. And we are not seen, we're not heard, 
and we're not listened to. So when we go to the doctors and complain, a chief complaint about something, we get dismissed majority at a time. So that's the premise of this documentary to give women a voice that they need and understand that they do matter. We matter. Our babies matter. Sounds like you're doing incredible work and your story is definitely like so impactful. When you were pregnant each time, did you tell anybody or were you like so scared to even say anything? I told everybody. <laughs> I told everybody. <laughs> and was it every time you told everybody? Yep. So you so there were enough people around probably who could have, you know, supported you, but it sounds like from the medical community, the first two pregnancies, you didn't get any support right from the jump. No, I didn't. I didn't. I got support my third and fourth pregnancy. I didn't tell nobody I was pregnant with my daughter, my rainbow baby, until I was 25 weeks. Is that because of, you know, everything that you had gone through at that point? Yeah, I didn't want to tell nobody. I didn't want to, you know, call people and get them excited and then call them back and give them good news. That 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 for me was traumatizing. Like, I didn't want you to feel bad for me at that time. I just wanted just to have a normal pregnancy where I didn't want to be hush hush, but I didn't want to start having that next conversation and I lost the baby again. I really appreciate the way you're sharing the like wide range of emotions that you went through. Like I, I can just imagine like all of the feelings and how impactful that was and how challenging it was to sort through all of those as you were experiencing them all at once, especially when you described your losses. And so I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. Thank you. I understand like your process for creating this documentary, but like, how did you actually start? Like I have, I have ideas all the time, but I, I, I do not produce a documentary. Maybe we should Ellen, but um, like, I know. So how did you take it from that and like, start like, is this documentary simply sharing your story as a voice for others or did you connect and network with other people that you're also bringing a voice to their story? How many people are involved in this documentary? Yes, uh, let's start from the beginning. Um, I had a thought in my mind. I used to watch, I, like, I love documentaries. Documentaries are one of the things that uh, keeps me focused because you can experience somebody's life without knowing them. Mm-hmm. And I had mm-hmm. this thought in my mind. I, I didn't see anybody that looked like me that was going through this. I didn't see anybody that um, represent me in a way that shows that they survived this, they strong, that they here and they doing so much work in the community and community for themselves, doing self-awareness and self, self-care. I don't I didn't see nobody like that. So uh, I, during the pandemic, I was like, hey, I know a lot of people are home right now. Nobody's going nowhere. So I'm going to make phone calls. And um, I made a couple of phone calls to a couple of people and I told my cousin and um, he's a producer on this project. And um, I told him my cousin and he was like, wow, because I didn't even know you was going through that. Give me give me about give me about a week. I'm going to make some phone calls and then I'm going to get back to you. Within two days, he had a whole crew for me, a whole crew ready to uh, tell these women's story. Um, and then I reached out. I reached out to um, 
one of the doulas that um one of my friend's friends and um she reached out to women that she knew that was going through this. We had um we have about eight ladies, five ladies are telling a story, and we have two therapists, two doctors, and two doulas. And they're telling the story because they see it on the front hand of black and brown women suffering at the hands of childbirth. Uh, during the pandemic, it was a lot worse. Um, I think uh, 32% of African-American and Latinos had died. Wow. During the course of last year due to- Now that's um, 30, yeah, 32% of, I just didn't follow this statistic. Oh, so 32% okay. of- so, Yeah, 32% of women had uh, died and or had complications in America during the COVID. So okay, okay. looking at that range from the East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, and all that, they combined mm-hmm. it together that they lost a lot of moms, they lost a lot of babies, and they lost, they even also had complications either during or after childbirth when they okay. packed. You know, the hospitals wasn't, you know, able to see them like they're supposed to. A lot of women was in the hospital by themselves. Um, a a lot of women had to do Zoom calls um, mm-hmm. with their doctor, complaining that, you know, their symptoms and some of the doctors couldn't be able to see them in person due to COVID. But mm-hmm. it stems from 30 years and counting how we have been dismissed, how we have been overlooked. Like statistics shows that doctors today but still believe that black and brown people don't feel pain. They what? Need- yeah. <laughs> yep. I and thought I you were going to say the opposite. I thought you were going to say that, like, they exaggerate pain or something. They what do What do you mean they don't feel pain? Yeah, they think we have an um our skin and our melanin that our skin is too thick for us to feel pain. That's insane. Do they know that pain comes from the inside? And yeah, thank you. <laughs> have you heard of nerves? Yeah, or like any kind of central nervous system transmission. Yeah. Yeah. What? So, so our country as a whole has the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world. Right. And black and brown women are disproportionately higher represented in that category. Yes. Yes. As healthcare professionals, what do you want to convey to other healthcare professionals for how we can help advocate for this patient population. Yeah, I want you to, to see us as human, see us as mothers, see us as daughters, see us as nieces, aunts, see us as patients because we are patients for before anything. We are here because we want to bring healthy babies. We should not come into a, a hospital or a clinic or a doctor's office and feel like you're not hearing me or you're not seeing me or you're not listening mm-hmm. to me. And that's the problem. Like it's many a times I went into the doctor's office and they <laughs> they just looked me at me like I'm a number. They didn't even ask me my name. This was like, oh, your test is okay. And then they walk out the room. Healthcare should be essential for everybody. Everybody should have healthcare, especially if you're carrying an individual in your belly for nine months, you should be able to have healthcare that is accessible to you, that is provided mm-hmm. for you, and that is that sees you to bring you to bring your healthy baby into this world because Amen. Already, 
we have a stigma we have a stigma on our back as you know black people but that shouldn't be that way you know uh i'm i have a, one lady that she complained about um pain uh when she was pregnant and she went to the doctor on friday complained and told them that this is what the situation is she's feeling this pains they dismissed her saturday she went to her baby shower sunday she lost her daughter so if you just did that simple ultrasound and seen that the cord was wrapped around the baby's neck, she would have had a healthy, she would have had a baby that Friday. But mm-hmm. she had told you something wasn't right. Some, she didn't feel it. She felt something that was not normal. So if you had did that simple ultrasound, she would still have her daughter. She shouldn't have to be in a hospital bed preparing for a funeral. That was the mm-hmm. worst thing. I never prepared for a funeral. Like I prepared for a funeral for my grandfather, or my uncle or my aunt, somebody close, but for your child, that's one thing that I can't see past. Like my mind still goes into that dark place. I remember walking into the funeral home and just crying because I'm like, why am I here? I shouldn't be here. And a lady told me, hey, you can pick out these two, um, no, these, uh, just look in this book and pick out an urn. I don't wanna do that. Yeah, I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't mm-hmm. even bring my I shouldn't even bring home a box of our baby's things home from the hospital. But yet again, it doesn't just happen to me. It happens to many women in this country and around the world. All because of things that are missed. Yeah. And one of the stories that resonated with me is Serena Williams when she had her baby. And she said, you know, I think her sister has a history of blood clots. And yes. she said, I, something is not right. And she has like access to everything. And she was not listened to. She was not believed and she was dismissed. And that story just resonated so much with me about the struggles that everyone is facing. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does make sense because you can see she's, she's an international star. Mm-hmm. She has money. She has income. She has that position where she can call a midwife or a doula or have her own private doctor come into the um in her room. Mm-hmm. But just look for me for my income. I didn't have that. I don't have that. But just the color of my skin yeah. didn't provide me that good access to quality care. I should I should go back and actually say what happened to Serena Williams. I realized we we kind of <laughs> skipped over that. So her sister has a history of blood clots and Serena Williams, she developed a PE, right? Yeah. After childbirth. And so it was within like a week or two of having a baby. And she said, This isn't normal. Like this isn't normal postpartum stuff. Well, you've never had a baby before. How do you know? And yeah. so she was just dismissed and dismissed. And she had a blood clot in her lung that she needed to be admitted and treated for. And she was dismissed over a period of time before that treatment finally occurred. Yeah. And it's crazy because yeah. you would think that someone would say, you know, okay, she's a black female. However, you know, it's Serena Williams. Everybody knows her and maybe they'll, you know, treat her differently because she could buy the hospital probably if she wanted to. And mm-hmm. aside from that, you know, she's a freaking like Olympic athlete. So she probably knows if she doesn't feel right breathing. Exactly. You think that like someone who like has so much, like, you know, she knows her body. 
She yeah. knows her body better than most of us know yeah. our bodies and because she has, and she's got like specialists, I'm sure for every part of her body. And so it's yeah. like, and it's crazy that even with how much she knows about her body and because of how well she's known, people would take that more seriously. But at the end of it, mm-hmm. she, that was all overshadowed by the fact that she, I guess, is a black female. And this is the statistic that she fell right into. Um, it's cr- this mm-hmm. is crazy that even in her situation, you know, somebody with such, you know, status, it didn't help. Perceived pull. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't yeah. help at all. At all. So can you tell us a little bit more about where you're at in your documentary right now in the, in the stage of filming it or producing it, or is it ready to be released and where can people watch it when it is available? Oh, we lost her. Hey, smart mamas. We had a little bit of a glitch there and we lost Teresa. So we're hoping that we're going to be able to continue and finish telling her story. But in the meantime, we just wanted to say that we believe in her story. We believe in how important it is to tell this story of how people are being treated. And, you know, Ellen and I were talking, uh, on the side about how, you know, like, how does this happen? How is there such a discrepancy still? And one of my theories is that we don't talk about it. So people aren't aware that it even exists. So why are people treated differently? Why are people not listened to? And by brave souls like Teresa, who are sharing her story and other stories and, you know, through us, and please share this podcast with your friends to help bring that story to light. Hopefully it raises some awareness so that this discrepancy lessens. But one of the other parts of our conversation is about how the United States has the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world. And I mean, it. I think there's a lot of factors that go through with that. A lot of it has to do with access to healthcare, but I think it also has to do with I mean, I don't know what, Ellen, you felt like, but it feels like we're simply vessels to have children. And so once you have a baby, you have all these appointments leading up to your baby. And once you have a baby, you have one visit six weeks later and that's that. And so it's just the lack of follow through and follow up care, I think is really what leads in my opinion. What do you think, Ellen? Uh, yeah, I, you know, Lacey and I were talking about how like you get discharged from the hospital and you have six weeks until a medical professional sees you. And in that six weeks, you're at such high risk for complications like Serena Williams with the PE and for, you know, volume overload in those first two weeks after delivery and heart failure and, you know, not even touching on the mental and emotional adjustment. And they always send you home with like a sheet of a hundred thousand uh, complications that could arise and they're yep. like, call us. But first of all, what new mom goes home and has time to read through that sheet and even pay attention to herself enough to catch anything wrong when she's trying to keep alive, like a new human and is not sleeping and is probably delusional. I mean, it's, it's insane that we don't even get seen. So Lacey and I are kind of interested if we have any listeners out there who are in the field for, you know, maternal health and know the answer to this or kind of want to share their story or experience. Why is that? Is that an insurance thing that they won't cover for, you know, all the reasons that insurance companies suck (laughs) or is, is there some kind of science behind it? Because 
it's crazy. Lacey was so right pointing out like, you know, leading up to your delivery, you have, I forget how many visits it is. It's a crazy amount. I think 20 visits total. And then right after you deliver and they send you home, you don't have anything for six weeks. I mean, nothing. So, and you're at the highest risk in that first two weeks. I mean, you could still have a postpartum hemorrhage two weeks later. Right. Right. I remember thinking at one point, like, what if I'm hemorrhaging and I don't even know, it? you know, or -hmm. what if something's happening and I don't even catch it? Like, am I just going to drop dead? It's got to be terrifying, but we've got Teresa back on. Yay. We were just saying, we hope that we reconnect because I asked you about what stage your documentary was on and you were off. And I was like, oh no, that was an important part. <laughs> like where, yes, did, yes, where, where yes. Where do we find your documentary and what stage are you in right now? Right now we in the editing stage. Um, we have uh, 16 hours of footage that we have to go through right now. So we just narrowed it down to eight, eight hours. So right now we in the um, editing stage and then by October, we should be um, fully producing our film in by October and film festivals by November and actually next year. And you can catch clips on in you on YouTube, our YouTube channel, which is Janae Productions at YouTube in October. And that's Janae J-H-E-N-E, right? Productions. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So we'll make sure to put that in the show notes. So is this gonna be like a one hour, two hour long thing, or is this gonna be a multi-episode series? It's a two-part series. Um, it's going to be an hour each for the film. For the film festivals, it's uh, thirty minutes. But for our listening audience and our viewers, it's going to be an hour. So it's a two-part series. And is it going to be available primarily on YouTube, or are you guys shopping it to the networks or to the streaming services? Yeah, we're shopping into the networks as we speak right now. Um, hopefully, somebody got. We we're going to claim this in the name of Jesus. Somebody will pick us up. So mm-hmm. anybody that wants to pick us up, they'll be great. So we are praying. Are you finding any kind of response from the from the streaming services or pushback or just anything at all? Or is it kind of hard to get a hold of anyone? It's, it's kind of hard to get a hold of anybody. Um, right now, we are just, um, you know, sending out emails, um, doing a lot of um, film festivals. Like right now, I'm going to Martha's Vineyard for an African-American film festival uh, next weekend. So hopefully that will get some buzz and hopefully somebody will take notice. I sure yes, hope so because definitely. it's so important. It's so important for women. It's so important for all women of color. I mean, like the fact that the disparity is so prevalent and so high, it just makes me so sad because, you know, it it shouldn't be going on in 2021. We shouldn't, first of all, have the highest rate of maternal death, period. But exactly. especially mm-hmm. to ignore such a huge population of women what do you think it's due to, Teresa? Do you think it's due to access to health, to socioeconomic class, or does it not matter? Because look at Serena Williams' socioeconomic class. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, you have some uh, places where you can get good quality care and you got some that you don't. So it just depends on what, what area, what state you live in, what county you live in, and what town. I live in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, but in uh, certain areas in South Carolina, you don't have access to a clinic or a hospital. You have to drive so far. And those are the things that, you know, commonly happens in a rural community. Then also you don't have people that has um, good health insurance. You know, a lot of people are going to pregnancy Medicaid. Pregnancy Medicaid in certain states, like in Florida, only lasts you 
three months. So they'll take care of you while you're pregnant. But after you're pregnant, mm-hmm. you only have you have 90 days um, in the state of New York. In the state of New York, you have a whole year and then you can re um, reapply for Medicaid to get that extra help if you need. In the South, in South Carolina, you only got two months. So just imagine you feeling like, OK, I just had a baby, but I'm feeling nauseous. I'm feeling um, something's this not right. If I miss that window, I can't see a doctor. That's that's crazy. I can't even imagine feeling like your time's ticking. Yeah. And then what? But then it's like, and then, yeah. then who's going to care about me? Yeah. And that's how it is for many women. Yeah. One of the things Ellen and I were talking about is how do we begin to like make the switch? And, and what do we do? Yeah. So I feel like we need to bring awareness to this issue in order to put it on people's radar so that we can decrease the incidence of this. Because if people don't know what's happening, people aren't going to see it. They're not going to think about it. It's not going to be on their radar. And then it's going to just continue happening. But if we can raise the awareness, we can hopefully decrease this discrepancy between the care that people are given. Yeah. If we just start having a conversation now, just people just having a general conversation and understanding that we do matter. Please see us. We shouldn't have to tell you to see us because we're here. But just to have a conversation and to understand that we need help in this system. We need the system mm-hmm. to change. We need these policies to change. We elected these officials, but we can advocate for these these bills like the mommy bus. The mommy bus includes 12 bills that just was sent into Congress and hopefully they'll pass it for black and brown moms and all moms to have quality care, to have access to Medicaid, to have access to doctors that they need to be seen, to have access to the knowledge that if your hospital is treating patients, but in your maternity ward, your hospital has a 20% death rate, I wouldn't want to go there. Those yeah. are the things that needs to be known. Like, I want to um, look at a hospital and pick out a hospital like I pick out my cars. If I'm going to look underneath the, under, the engine, I need to look and see your statistics and your your your, your status on what is going on in your in your healthcare system? What's going on in your hospital? Because that's what's going on with us as women. We come into these hospitals not knowing what's going on behind closed doors. We also need to advocate for doulas and midwives. Back in the days during slavery time, we had midwives. We had um, you know moms, um, grandmothers, and aunts. You know, helping bring a child into this life. So we need to bring awareness to that because we have a lot of beautiful, beautiful women that are doulas and men that are doulas that are bringing in healthy babies, but we don't have the knowledge of it. We don't know where to find them. We don't know how to reach them. We don't know how to afford them. And certain states, Mm -hmm. Medicaid or your insurance will pay for them, but other states, they won't. So those are the type of resources that we need to uh, be changed and and, and looked at. Yeah, and bring awareness. Yes, ma'am. Bring awareness. A doula could also help into the first part of the postpartum period as well. Yes, ma'am. You know, and then there's an extra person who is also caring for the mom. Yeah, that's probably the only person caring for the mom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy to think that we don't have anyone caring for the mom. 
Yeah, like I didn't even know a doula exists until I started doing this documentary. I didn't know it was a full spectrum doula, a bereavement doula, a postpartum doula, and a doula that comes in to help you get pregnant. Wow, I didn't know about that one. Really, I didn't know about that one. <laughs> so, what, wait a second. What are we? What are? What do they do exactly? <laughs> so, um, if you're trying to get pregnant, they give you. Um, avenues to increase your chances of getting pregnant okay. like uh, eating healthy exercising drinking certain teas massage and just less stress because you know a lot of women carry a lot of stress so that can prevent you from not getting pregnant mm-hmm. and they will help you on your journey for getting pregnant and then when you get pregnant they either stick with you to the to the up to the whole nine months or they will switch you on to another person that does the full spectrum doula and then after you have the baby, they have doulas to come in postpartum to make sure that you're mentally okay. Because you could be okay after you have the baby, but two months later, the baby's still crying. You you alone. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have family around. You know, they were so excited when you got pregnant, but you're not, they're not there when you, after you have the baby. Crickets. So, Crickets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here, here's a postpartum doula that comes in and and make sure your mental is right, making sure you're eating, making sure that you are relaxed and making sure that you're okay to be okay to take care of your child. And then they have bereavement doulas. I didn't even know that. They have doulas that will counsel you do bereavement. And that is one of the things that I think a lot of women need to understand. Like if I can't get a therapist, because it took me a long time to get a therapist, mm-hmm. about three months to get a therapist. But if I knew I can see a, a bereavement doula, that would have helped me process what I was feeling better than what I was. Yeah. And so many therapists are not trained or skilled in this avenue. And it's so specialized that I feel like, you know, it's crazy. A doula is like a full service birthing process on wheels. It's yes. amazing. And I didn't even know about them until I'm mobile. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know it until like two years ago. You know, I only found out I was like, what the heck is a doula? You know? Yeah. And it's sad because a lot of women don't know about it. They don't know that they can have one. They sometimes it's like stigmatized because in our nation, birth has become so medical that yeah. it has, you know, drifted away from, I don't want to say natural because not everybody wants natural, but like, you know, a more natural process that can be supported in many other ways. So I, I, I thank you for bringing awareness to all of this. Can you tell us where our listeners can follow you, find you, find some more information on this topic in general, maybe your favorite resources? Yeah, um, you can reach me at all social media platforms, which is Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook at Janae Productions, which is spelled J-H-E-N-E, Productions with an S at the end. And um, also you can um, go to my website, Janae Productions at weekx.com. And then also you can, it's a lot of books, a lot of healing books out there that you can do your research. You can, especially YouTube, um, Black Maternal Health in America, and you could definitely see the disparity that happens when it comes to Black and Brown women at the face of chopper. Thank you so much, Teresa, for coming on today and not only sharing your story and your heart, mm-hmm. but you know your passion for your purpose. And it affects so many women nationally and internationally. And we are so thankful to have this platform to share with you to, you know, address that 
I definitely want you to let us know when your documentary is live so we can follow this up and share it with our viewers because I know they're going to want to see it and we're going to love to promote you. So for our listeners, thank you so much for coming on today with us and sharing a little bit of your time listening to another important topic. You can follow us on Instagram at Hey Smart Mamas, on Twitter and Facebook at Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. Please feel free and don't forget to leave us a review, leave us all your thoughts and comments, subscribe to us and share us with your friends and other women in both healthcare and just other people who are moms and, you know, working moms. So we love you guys and we hope you hop on here soon to hear another episode. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you, ladies. You have a wonderful evening. You too. Good night. You too.